Welcome to Sacrifice to Success Podcast. My name is David Weaver, and I am the owner of The Forgotten Heart Project. My mission is to help others create freedom in every aspect of their life. In this season of the podcast, we are talking life, business, and what makes you feel alive. We are speaking with business owners and entrepreneurs from all over hearing about the sacrifices, the learnings, the twists, the turns, the ups and downs, and the successes that they have had in life and business. These are their stories. All right. Welcome, everybody. So today I have with me my guest, Daniel Felt. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you, David. Good to be here. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're located. Yeah, for sure. We are uh, located out of the Plymouth, Minnesota. I own a company called Cura Home Maintenance. We are located in Denver, Dallas, Atlanta, and of course, Minneapolis, Minnesota. I have a small little family and growing family here. Uh, and we live on a small little hobby farm in the western west of the western suburbs. And uh, yeah, enjoy, enjoy life. That's so cool. All right. So let's uh, take it back. Did you always know you wanted to be an entrepreneur or was this something that developed over time? You know, give me that kind of backstory. Yeah, I would say it developed over time. I grew up in a, a family of six kids and my parents accidentally became entrepreneurs. Uh, my dad bought my mom a dog for Christmas in 1980. And at one point the neighbor's dog came over and we were had a litter of puppies and they went to sell them and they weren't selling the puppies and they talked to the vet and the vet said, well, you need to increase your price. They were trying to sell them for like $50 and no one was buying them. So the next week's ad in the newspaper, they put them for $350 and the phone rang off the hook and they all sold. So they're like, <laughs> well, we should we should do this again. And I we grew up, you know, one income, very, very, very tight budget on everything. I mean, the, the paycheck came on Friday and we went to get groceries on Friday. So very, yeah. very, very tight. Um, and so growing up in that business, today they they do great. They I believe they're selling dogs for $3,900. There's a waiting list out the wazoo. And so growing up in that um, atmosphere, I remember helping my parents with like taxes and writing on receipts if it was a, you know, what that business trip was for, or things like that, to the business trip of going to town and getting a dog collar, dog food from the grocery store, whatever it was. But uh, my first thing that I kind of started doing is I was, I really always wanted a horse for some reason. I don't know why. Mm. And when I was around 11 years old, ended up, we, we got a horse on our farm and I, sadly got bored very quickly with it because it was too nice but it was just an old retired horse and it was it was too boring so i talked to a guy from my church and i said and he was trying to get rid of his horses and he was going to sell them to the meat market and i was like i'll pay you the same price that you would sell them for meat and i i bought them and i trained them and i actually sold them over the summer to another 4-h kid for double the cost so i'm like okay this is kind of it's interesting because i have the the pasture you know you don't have to buy hay for them, whatever got into that and um, that kind of um, was definitely just more of a hobby, but kind of an entrepreneurial thing. But out of school, started continuing on my parents' thing. I would train dogs for their, um, when my mom would sell a dog, if they were having issues, my mom would give them my name and number. And I would come to your house for $100 and I would train you how to train your dog. Or for $700, I'll take it for a week and I'll train mm -hmm. it for you. Okay. And that kind of paid the bills for um, through college. And then I worked for a company called Sparble. They sell about 6 million chicken eggs a day and wow. taught me all about creating standard operating procedures for employees because it's amazing what goes into getting an egg at your kitchen table. So I was part of from that came through the wall on the conveyor belt until we got it on the semi in a nice, perfect little carton on a pallet. I created every SOP for that and then worked for my brother's um, company. They clean windows and, and install Christmas lights. Today he has about 115 employees. By the time we went from eight crews to 16 crews in two years, and that led me to starting Cura Home Maintenance. 
Nice. That's such a cool story, man. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And it explains the, uh, the farm living on the hobby farm now too. Yeah. Cool. Yep. Awesome. So, okay. So did you have this idea from based on like an offshoot of your, your brother's company and you're like, that was what started it? Yeah, most definitely interacting with all those customers. I, you know, we were very hands-on in the service-based industry. You, you have to be with your customers. And so I'd be talking to a client and, and they'd say things like, I just wish I could pay someone to do this. I wish we could hire someone to take care of this for us. And uh, my brother had actually partnered with someone and they were doing property management. And mm-hmm. so it was it was pretty spendy, but they were definitely targeting like the professional athletes um, budget. You know, So you live in a home, we'll completely take care of everything. You want a new, you want surround rooms? installed, I'll take care of it, right? Like they would just do everything for you. And their frustration was that they barely had any clients. And mm-hmm. so in one of our monthly meetings, I said, why, why don't you guys offer less that way more of your clientele could afford because it actually needs to be done. And so rather than $1,500 a month, you're a couple hundred dollars a month. And we just do this routine maintenance. And they, they, that wasn't the direction that they wanted to work. And they, they didn't want to go towards that direction. They really wanted to focus here in, towards the higher end market. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't drop, but I kept thinking about it. And a month later, I actually came with a business plan. I'm like, you guys, look, this would work way better. Here you go. <laughs> I had like plans, starter savvy premium. I was ready to go. And I'm like, there's actually a company that is kind of doing this, but it's a mixture of handyman and home maintenance. And they're franchising. I know it was really costly to franchise a business. And they're like, no, that's we that's a really dumb idea. It'll never work. And for me, <laughs> being uh competitive and, and things like that, I I would I that that was the motivation that I needed to really start in. I always wanted to invent something really cool. Um, and unfortunately, I'm not like creative enough to like create a better wrench or a better tool or things like that. I don't quite have that engineer mind. But this idea, I thought it would be really great and everyone would would want it. And I was very wrong in the beginning. Uh, about a thousand people said they wanted the service and no one signed on. So that was very educational for me. Nice. Okay. So how did you get over that hurdle? Yeah. So in the beginning, I, I, when I was 16, I helped my parents build their dream home from the foundation up. I mean, I skipped school to, bo- to pour the, the basement foundation. I was part of the putting the last shingle on, I mean, and everything in between. And so I felt like I knew the ins and outs of a home and, and understanding how that all went together. And so I became a certified home inspector so that I could know what's going on at homes. Because today we service like $12 million estates. And we also service very simplistic mechanical homes, like a townhome, for example, really simplistic when it comes to maintenance wise. And based off of all that um, education, I assumed monthly home visits would be the ticket. So we'll come once a month, we'll do everything for you. And luckily I, I had like enough of a um, network for my dog business thing that I like talked to a few of those people. And I actually was just asking them for advice, but a few of them signed on, which is really nice. And so they were my first clients. So we still service today, which I'm really proud of. And, nice. um, they, they signed on and we were doing monthly visits. And after the third visit, I would be at their house for like 25 or 30 minutes. There's barely anything to do because we've done everything. So I went through that fall because I started in August of 2016. I went through that fall and I was grinding. I was working really hard trying to get clients. I mean, I'm, I'm doing everything I know to do. And I finally sat down with a guy from my church. Actually, he lived in a really nice home, definitely qualified to be one of our clients. And he knew me well. His son was in my Bible study. The trust thing was there. And so I just want to know, you know, Joe, why aren't you a client? Like, will you just tell me that? And after sitting down for about an off, about an hour over coffee, he, he said, you know, realistically, I, and he kind of tapped on my marketing stuff. He said, if this word said quarterly rather than monthly, 
I would have signed up right away. I don't mm. think you need to be in my house 12 times a year. I think I only need you four times. And so I, I looked into it a little bit. That was over Christmas. And on January 2nd of 2017, I called a bunch of people who had like, we had really good rapport when I gave an estimate in their home, like everything went really well, but they just never signed on and they don't really even know why. And I, I was servicing 11 clients and 11 more signed on on January 2nd, 2017. So Cure Home doubled in a day, which I don't think will ever happen again, but nice. it was just was super fun to see how listening to your market and surveying people. And, and even though people tell you like, oh, Daniel, this is such a great idea. Like we, we support you hundred percent. Like if they don't say like, where can I buy one or where can I sign up for that? You got to keep tweaking a little bit until people are like, you know, Hey, swipe my credit card. I want this right now. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> that's such a cool, like valuable lesson. And it uh, also a lesson in just like how people are so much nicer in person than they are on the internet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. So then you you kind of you tweak some of that, you get it figured out and then now now you're growing. So now what uh talk to me about bringing on your first employees and how did that go? Yeah, for sure. Uh, the first employee was actually easier than I thought it would be, mostly because of uh, luckily working for my brother's company, I had a ton of experience interviewing people. I knew the right questions to ask. You know, I knew like all the paperwork that I need to sign on. So I think a lot of those like big leaps of like, ah, the state, like there's all these regulations and you got to hang this poster and do this and do that. Like all that wasn't very intimidating for me because I'd gone through that. And I actually was very fortunate because I was volunteering on our church youth group and uh, one of the gentlemen wanted to take a year off and he just, he wanted to work like part-time. I was like, I have the perfect gig for you because I'm working from like 8am to two in the field. And then I do office stuff from two to like 11 o'clock at night. So yeah. come work with me. And that worked out perfectly because he, I knew him, I trusted him and, and he came on and we had a really great, that, that year was awesome. And he actually helped train in my next guy. So mm. he worked with me long enough side by side that by the time employee number two came along, I was able just to partner with the, those guys and they, they worked the other side by side until I felt confident enough that we could get a second van going. But that hurdle, that was a really interesting hurdle for me going from you're running this company essentially out of your garage. And if I wasn't there with my pickup truck, no work could be done. And so this employee, you know, he had like a, a Jetta, I think, uh, you know, he can't go service clients with his routine maintenance. So to go out and say, we're busy enough that I need to buy a van that is strictly used to service clients' homes. But as soon as I did that in the beginning of 2018, we needed a second van in about three months. So mm -hmm. by allow by getting that first one going, and then for me going out and actually you know, the first steps of working on the business rather than in it. And I was actually like selling more. I was able to generate more business to keep a second crew busy very, very quickly. So that was a huge leap of faith. And I think whenever I think back to that time and, and I'm thinking about taking a big risk today, I always think like you can always sell the van. And mm -hmm. and and today you actually make money on, on the vans because of uh use use vehicle prices, but but you can always sell yeah. a van. You you know, usually you take a little bit of a, a loss on it. And, and that's just part of doing business. But we are really fortunate that we were able to um, get those vans going and then have employees train in other employees. Today, um, the way that we do it, we try to keep 1.5 people per crew. So if I'm running 10 crews, I try to have 15 employees so okay. that if someone has a heavier schedule, they can, that they can have two crews going. If someone calls in sick, we don't have to cancel on our, on our clients and things like that. And then you're always kind of, you're always kind of having people come in. So that if someone moves on to a new career, they, you know, it's, it's not the end of the world because we have these other people that are, that are going through that training process. Mm. Yeah. So smart. And I love that idea of, uh, zooming out too. I'm always, I've talked to people about that often. It's like, okay, we get stuck in this thing and we're like, okay, 
what if and then if you like zoom out though and look at the big picture and and like what's the worst that's likely going to happen mm-hmm. usually not yeah. that bad <laughs> right. <laughs> right exactly yeah yeah and it's easy to get caught up in that too because you think like well what if i have to tell someone like yeah we bought the van but we had to sell it it didn't work out and a lot of people a lot of times like when i tell people like because we have we have tried things and, and we've had to cut it like we've we've failed before and when i tell people the story they're like wow that was really smart that was really smart that you canceled that or you, or you stopped doing that exact service and so, and like you, they're they're more supportive that you you quit. They probably relate to you more than if all you talk about is like, oh, we won this award and we got this five star review and all these good things. It's like, wow, is every day just perfect at Cure Home? It's like, no, it's not. We go through our struggles too, and I think people relate a lot more with you when you share some of those struggles. Yeah, and it's so ironic because that's what the fear is, right? It's like the fear of like, oh, what are these these people going to think about me? Mm-hmm. But but for really, sure. they're going to think better of you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I like one thing that I always think about too, David, is when people are asking me like, why, like my parents will ask me frequently, like, why do you want to grow this business? Right? Like, why are you franchising? Like, why, like the company is paying your bills? Like what's, you know, what's the point? And I think the biggest thing that I always look back at is like when I'm retired and I don't, I don't know if I'll ever retire because I love working, but when I'm like looking back at life and I'm like, all right, that's it. I always say like, I, I think I would rather say I actually tried that once and I failed miserably rather than no, I never, I never tried it at all. And I wonder what that would have been like. So I'd rather try and fail than, than just never try. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think that's a, a commonality, like this thread that I see in interviewing people through every, pretty much every entrepreneur that I talk to is like, they have that. I want to try. And even if it doesn't mm-hmm. go, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of uh, failures, quote unquote, for the audio people, um, what is like w- something that really just didn't go well and you did have to cut it or, or t- turn a different direction? Yeah, for sure. Uh, the biggest thing that we have failed at big time was actually last year. This is the, the, the wound is still healing here, David. But uh, last year, we uh, were growing very quickly, very rapidly. I had put an order in with our dealership for 15 vans. I mean, we were rocking and rolling. And the <clears throat> demand for people that search like routine home maintenance or maintenance package for your homes is really minimal. In Minneapolis, it's like 13 or 14 people per month. I mean, we're bare bones. You know, <laughs> okay. people do not search routine maintenance package for your home. And so with that, a lot of people search handyman uh, services. So, you know, using the systems and processes that we had in place and talking to, you know, our website people and things like that, they're like, you guys would kill it if you would just add handyman services. Like you would no marketing costs. I mean, literally like you put the word handyman on your website, like people are going to come flocking in and just hire a handyman and put them in the same system. So we're like, okay, sounds good. Well, the thing with like routine home maintenance is like, if you signed up as a client today, David, you get this really nice little report card and it has a box checked of every list that you want and it tells you exactly when we're do it. And we're going to take a photo of it. And same with air duct cleaning. If we clean your air ducts, we're going to clean your air ducts, no problem. But with handyman, I could, if you and I like wrote down, name 10, handy, 10 things a handyman does, and we both held up the, the list, it's going to be 10 completely different items. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we started doing the handyman stuff and it took off like crazy. We had, I think like seven handyman on staff within like three or four months. And we were like, go, go, go. And, and so the problem with that is that you're not really getting time to like catch up and analyze the numbers on a really close basis. And it seems like you're making money because the other branches of your company are, are still uh, humming along. But what happened is that, especially in the year 2021, mar- the cost of materials were changing so fast. And everything that was changing so rapidly that we would like bid a customer 
And then by the time we went to go do it, like prices would be completely different or things like that. And the guys doing the jobs would be like, well, I feel bad charging you, you know, $500 to do this. So I'll just do it for like $250 today because it didn't, it doesn't affect them. Mm-hmm. So we went through all these trials and triumphants. And, and essentially what happened is by the end of the year, we did 425K worth of handyman services, but just our material and labor costs were 408000 So that doesn't include like gas, van payments, insurance. We lost a lot of money. And so we started it in February and, and by November, we had to cancel it. And we tried like all the things. We tried putting these guys on commission and then like they weren't making you know money doing it, whatever. And essentially what happened is at the end of the day, there was just too many people involved to make money. Like the admin needs to be paid to answer the phones and all stuff. And, and the biggest takeaway that I got from it is that craftsmanship is not scalable. So if you're mm-hmm. trying to start a business that takes a very unique skill set, like taping and mudding sheetrock, for example, you have to be really good at that. And, and, it, and may, in your own home, maybe you're just fine at it. But in someone else's home that's expecting perfection, I couldn't guarantee that my guy in Dallas, Denver, and Atlanta, Georgia, we're going to do it the same or better or worse as my guy in Minneapolis. And so for that reason, we had to, we had to pull back and, and cancel it because it just was not a scalable endeavor and the quality, like, and again, if, if a guy comes in at your house and tapes muds and does the exact same job at my house, you might be ecstatic. And I might say it's the worst tape mud job I've ever seen in my life. So, <laughs> so that's the problem with, with that. So that was a huge endeavor for us. We, we lost a lot of money on it and, but we, we went all in, we, we tried it really, really hard, but I think there's a reason why there's not a ton of humongous handyman companies that like, oh, we have a hundred employees at this handyman company. It's either they're ginormous general contractors, or it's like your next door neighbor does handyman stuff on the side on the weekends. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's such a cool, cool story. I mean, obviously it's, yeah, it's tough to go through, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, you were able to, to try something and then uh, refocus back to the, to the main thing. And do you feel like it was a little bit of like chasing a shiny object? Yeah, a little bit. Um, it, cause it seemed like it, it would really fit in really, really well. And yeah. like everyone wants it. And then, and again, like taking my own stupid advice of like, dude, you know, everyone wants this, but then when it comes time to the actual price that you need to do this at, to be profitable as a, as a company, like it's, it's way too expensive. You know, a guy, like I said, like the guy next door who he doesn't need like workman comps insurance. Oh, you know, he doesn't need all these things that he can run it profitable. No problem. But for us, we, we just couldn't do it. So yeah, I think it was a little bit of everything. And, and at the end of the day, you can't be everything to everyone, right? I think it's really yeah. important to just do what you do really, really well. And, and it's okay to not service every single person that, you know, like just hone in on here's the exact uh, clientele that I want to service. And we're going to do a really, really good job doing just these services. Nice. I love it. Yeah. So, okay. What is, um, I might be putting you on the spot here, but what is the mission of your company? Yeah, for sure. Our, our, our absolute mission is to, uh, man, I, I'm facing the exact words, but our ultimate goal is we do want to be nationwide. So we want okay. to service the, to provide a high quality workmanship to the communities that we serve while giving back as well. We're huge on, on giving back. So our ultimate, our, our mission, my, my personal mission is to give away a hundred million dollars before the day I die. Mm. And I, and I think that's absolutely insane. I'm, I am nowhere near there, not even 1% of the way there, but um, if you fall short, right. If I fall short and we hit 4 million, I still going to be super happy. If we hit 60 million, I'll be really happy about it, but really it's giving back. And so supporting nonprofits, there's some that are just really, really awesome. There's, there's nonprofits out there that are doing 
really, really cool things like helping primarily women in third world countries start businesses. Like mm. it's the, you know, give a man a fish, teach a man a fish type deal. And so yeah. rather than giving people t-shirts there, they're saying, Hey, you can buy this sewing machine from us on a loan for like, you know, 70 bucks. And then it teaches them business principles and all these things. So there's some really, really cool charities um, that are doing that sort of, so to support that financial goal of giving away hundred million dollars, I, I believe that the best way to do that is to franchise Cura Home. We've uh, received a ton of inquiries from people across the nation that have heard about us from one way or another, and they want to start their business. And, and so franchising seems to be the best way to keep that quality where it's at. And there's, there's over 195 different metropolitan areas in the U.S. alone that have over a million people in them. And I, my goal is to be in every single one of those million plus populated areas. Mm, love it. It's big, big vision. Yeah. So yeah. Do you, did you have that vision early on or did you, did you grow into this? No, we for sure grew into it and it, and it yeah. changes all the time. You know, David, if you and I talk in a year and you say, what's your, what's your you know, mission today, it, it's maybe changed. Maybe yeah. it's the re- maybe my mission will be to retire in 10 years and, and start a new company where I can sell, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure it changes every single day. And I think that's what keeps life really, really exciting is that you can, you know, take these little left and right hand turns to get to a different path. But I remember at one point when I first started Cure on Home, I envisioned myself being uh, the last day of, of work. I was going to have eight crews working for, for me. And that was that. And we'd have a really cool, really cool team. You know, you'd have, you know, 10, 11 employees and it would be, be great. Everything was, was awesome. And that's, that's completely changed. We've, we've, uh, we've grown significantly past that, but you know, different things happen as, as demand. And as you meet people and and they give you counsel or, or whatever your, your goals change for sure. We follow EOS or attraction Mm -hmm. where every 90 days we're sitting down and we're writing down what's our five, three and one year goals as a company. And I also add in personal stuff to that, right? Is it to not, you know, my, one of my big, my big goals that I work on every single day is I never miss dinner with my family. Mm -hmm. And that's a really big one for me because it's at, at our, our office at five o'clock is a complete ghost town. It's, it's dead silent. And I love that, that we're a family owned company and and people, people realize that, that, Hey, we're, we're not going to work till 10 o'clock on this project because it can wait. Like it, it doesn't, you know, your family is significantly more important than, than, you know, than work in my opinion. So that's, there's little things like that, that my goals will change over time. Because if, if something gets in the way of a personal goal like that, I don't think it's, you know, at the end of my life, I don't want to be like, Oh yeah, I, I worked. 1 million plus hours, or I flew this many miles because, you know, I hit that record. I, I don't focus on things like that. A lot of it's focus on family stuff. And then I, there's really a strong passion for me to give, you know, I think to use your God-given talents and, and to utilize those so that you are just making the world a better place. And what does that look like? I'm, I'm not super great at, you know, um, going down to like the pet shelter or food shelter, whatever it is, and volunteering my time. I don't, I don't get to do that very frequently, but I do love working on growing a business where the, the finances can provide to those certain areas. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's like, um, it's, it's possibility creates more possibility, right? Cause when mm-hmm. you first started, you didn't realize that what you have now is like, I mean, maybe it was there, but it was so far away that mm-hmm. you're like, nah, that's not possible. For sure. But, but I do think that what you said about, I don't know, and being flexible about the future based upon what's most important to you and what your values are is like such fantastic advice. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Cause it's easy to get caught up in that. And, you know, I've talked to a couple of clients lately too about, well, how big do you want this thing? Mm-hmm. Like, 
because you get to decide and, and it's okay if you decide you want it to be small or you want it to be huge. It doesn't matter. Right. For yeah. sure. Oh, that's very cool. Um, okay. So I know you are a newer parent. So mm-hmm. uh, what have you found in, in what has changed for you and in becoming a dad and also like growing this business? Yeah, for sure. I think before I used to be really obsessed about, you know, not taking like an afternoon off or, you know, like being at the office, be there every day and grind, grind, grind. And now, you know, if you're watching an audio or on, on video, I'm working from home today. And because it's a nice day out in Minnesota, I want to be able to be around my family a little bit more. So for me, it's it's understanding the work-life balance. And, and you know, my son goes to bed at 7.30, 8 o'clock. And I can jump on after that and answer a few emails if I took a, an hour off to go, you know, hang out with him or, or do whatever. So I think the biggest thing is, is just knowing that, you know, my family is always going to be there and, and work necessarily isn't always going to be there. You know what? I might sell the company one day or, you know, one day I'm going to retire. And and investing in my family is is for sure the biggest priority for me. That's where I, and that probably comes from growing up. My dad went to work super early. I think he was at work by five, but then he was home at three. And so when we got off the bus, my dad was home and that was, mm-hmm. that was really, really cool to, to have part of that experience. So yeah, just being a parent and, and having a small family that that's growing is just knowing that your time as, as important as to invest in your company, it's, I think it's way more important to be investing in your, in your family too, and viewing it as a team. My wife is, is fortunate to stay at home and take care of our kids, but it's a team effort. When I come home, I, I, uh, clock in and, and, uh, and, and, and we start uh, double, double team on, on the family. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how you didn't know how that you needed silence before, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we. Uh, it's amazing what I, I was mowing the lawn yesterday, and my son, yes, you know, just put him on there, and he's got his little uh, noise canceling headphones or whatever, and and just just humming along in silence, and he's so happy, and I'm happy, and my wife is getting some stuff done inside the house, so she's happy, and I'm like, it all this just it works out nice. So yeah, silence sometimes is a really really good thing. Yeah, for sure, love it. Okay, so. I've been asking this question since day one. What makes you feel fully alive? Yeah, for for sure. For me, it's giving back to people and uh, volunteering at at churches. Is sometimes like it 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 seems like oh I don't have time for this. Giving writing a check to you know a foundation or or charity. It's it's being able to give back and and continue to give back is for sure what me is what really gives me energy. Love it. Okay. Awesome. Um, so where can people find out more information about you? Yeah. Our website is curahome.com, K-U-R-A, curahome.com. We have a ton of stuff on social media. Uh, some of it, we've been compared to Dr. Pimple Popper, seeing all the <laughs> gross stuff that we clean. And, and so check us out. We we're really active on social media. If you want to connect with me personally, it's just Daniel Felt at LinkedIn. Okay. Awesome. And because I know you have tons of wisdom to give, what's one last nugget of wisdom you'd love to leave with the audience? Yeah, I would say you can always you can always go backwards. You know, it's it's better to try and fail than just to sit here and and overanalyze a situation and think, what if I fail or what if I don't go? What if you know? What if I'm not successful at this? People want to relate to you. It's 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 almost better to have something where you you fail than you can talk about it and laugh and and cheers to it rather than than uh, have a ton of successes. So go out there. You can always sell the van. <laughs> you can always sell the van. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Daniel. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, David. Thank you for listening to Sacrifice to Success podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, please check out the link in the show notes and you can find all of the details there. 
If you got something out of this interview, would you please take a moment to share on social media? You can just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to somebody or post it on the socials. Let's see if we can change the narrative of social media and post valuable, positive content. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content, so to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please go ahead and subscribe. The thumbs up ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show, and they mean a lot to me. If you'd like to know more, go to my website, davidweavercoach.com, or you can follow me on LinkedIn or Facebook. Those links are also in the show notes. And I do also have a free training on my website as well. So thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. Thank you.